Psalm 66 from verse 16. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled or lifted up with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Let's pray together once more. Father, we do crave the presence of your spirit to instruct us through the word. Lord, we plead with you that we might be learners in the school of Jesus Christ this evening, that we would find in our own conviction and experience a mirror here to what David expressed. We ask, O oh God, that you would lead us then, not just into praying, but into praising, that you would train our hearts to that end. Lord, give us eyes to see both the, the marvel of our praying and the the reality and the privilege of true praising. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> How often do you contemplate the loving kindness of God toward you? How often do you simply stop, pause and take note? Maybe look back over the last week or month, or year. Perhaps you do it on your birthday. Good occasion to look back and say, what has happened to me? How has God dealt with me over the course of the last year of the life that he's granted to me? Or it may be New Year's Day, or maybe some other occasion. Or just, say, a, a, an occasional, a, a, an opportunity. You sit down and you, you actively and deliberately ponder how the Lord God of heaven has dealt with you as a Christian. Perhaps some of you might want to ponder how God in his mercy has dealt with you even though you are not a Christian. You have not trusted him, you have not walked in his ways, you have not regarded him, and yet still there are, in some senses, particular favours that the Lord has bestowed upon you. He's treated you as kindly as he's treated any others of his creatures. And he has withheld from you the judgments that your sins deserve. How often do we simply stop to think about the good things of God's covenant mercy toward us? And how ardently do we testify of divine mercy toward us from God? How often do we go and tell one another the good news of what God has done with us and for us and in us and to us? We're very quick, I think, to tell one another the good news with regard to maybe exam results or a new job or a new relationship or a new opportunity or the, the car that we got or the, maybe even the thing that we bought or the book that we read or whatever it may be. When we've got good news about many things, we're very quick to share it. And yet how quickly, how earnestly, how warmly do we share with one another maybe the fruits of that meditation and saying, do you know what God has done for me? Have you contemplated 
You know, husbands and wives, and it may be having family worship or you're, you're reading your Bibles together. Do you ever stop and say to, to your husband or your wife or your children, you, you call a friend or send a text, I was reading my Bible or I was contemplating on God's goodness. Have you seen this? Have you stopped to wonder, is it not a marvel that the God of heaven and earth should treat me in this way? And there's something, both of that contemplation of God's loving kindness and that praise for divine mercy bestowed here in Psalm 66. It is a psalm of praise. It is praise for the Lord's words, praise for the benefits that he has bestowed, praise for the deliverances that he has granted. And then there's this sort of sweeping sense, all God's dealings with us. Stop, look, consider what the Lord has done. From verse 8, Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. The, the, the great things that the Lord has done for us and the proper returns that ought to be made to him. And then at the end of the psalm, there's a shift away from that corporate voice to the more personal testimony. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what this God has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. And then that closing testimony. Not because I was a good man, God listened. Because I'd purged my prayers of sins, therefore the Lord was obliged to answer me. But blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Matthew Henry says of this verse, what we win by prayer we must wear with praise. If you get it by praying, you should wear it with praising. You should enjoy it with those testimonies of God's goodness. And it's a public testimony. It's not wrong by any means to offer private thanksgiving to God, but come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. The mercies that we enjoy, the blessings that we receive, often in answer to prayers that have been raised, those are evident. And the praises ought to go alongside those particular gifts. It's a shared testimony. Yes, it may be of use to instruct others, come and see what the Lord has done for my soul, but it's a particular encouragement. I want you who fear God to hear what I have to say. I want you to know what your God and mine has done for my soul. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. God, then, is the object of praise. Blessed be God. I will extol him abundantly. I will lift up my God, the mighty Lord of heaven and earth. I will testify openly of his greatness. I will make known his goodness. God is the object of praise and God's mercy distinctly is the reason for praise. God has not turned away my prayer. God has not ignored me when I have spoken to him. God has not rejected my petitions. 
And God has not turned away his mercy from me. He has not withheld or withdrawn his covenant love toward me as one of his people. In a sense, what the psalmist praises God for is the the evidence or the demonstration of the character of God that is revealed in uh, Exodus 34 to Moses. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And the psalmist is saying that is what God is and has shown himself to be to me. There are wonders here. God has not ignored or rejected my praying. God has not withheld or withdrawn his mercy, his covenant love, his faithful love toward me. And when you consider these things, when I consider these things, it is clearly our privilege, our duty and our right to magnify God to lift up his name because of this particular mercy toward us. You find that all the way through your Bible. You're finding it here. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's not just setting an example deliberately and saying, here's an idea for you. He's actually doing this. He's setting a standard for us. You think how often the Apostle Paul without drawing undue attention to himself, without exalting himself in any way, is pleased to sow into so many of his letters those notes of personal testimony, that the Lord has had mercy upon him and has been steadfast in his love toward him. You get the Apostle John crying out, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. He says, I want you to know what I have come to know of God in Jesus Christ. Peter too, perhaps through Mark's gospel and in some of his letters, there are those notes of his own declaration of God's marvellous mercy toward him. You find something similar uh, after and outside of the scriptures. You think of someone like uh, Augustine of Hippo, the African Christian who wrote his confessions as a testimony to the grace of God towards him. God had not turned away his prayers. God had not withheld his mercy from him. John Bunyan, when he wrote his grace abounding to the chief of sinners, it has a text that is his uh, sort of keynote at the front of that book. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. Or how often uh, Charles Spurgeon Uh, Spurgeon always goes back to uh, the the passage in Isaiah under which by God he was converted. Look unto me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And it often feels when Spurgeon's run out of other things to say, if he ever did run out of anything to say, such a prodigious mind, or maybe that's not fair on him, but there's almost this kind of default where he goes back and he says, well, if I can't persuade you any other way, let me tell you how God saved me me let me tell you again how that man whose name I didn't know stood up in the pulpit and pointed at me in the pew and said you you young man you look miserable you need to look to God 
Stop doing anything else and just look and live. And he did. And Spurgeon then delights to weave in his own experience of God's goodness and mercy. The Lord has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. And I want to encourage you, as I want to encourage myself, to consider certain situations or occasions, meditations, when it would be especially appropriate for us as God's people to testify, blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me, to turn our prayers into praises. The first is with regard to our supplications, our own petitions and prayers. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Now, brother, sister, what is there in any prayer that you have ever prayed that makes it worthy of coming into the ear of God Most High? When have you ever prayed with any real sense of what you're about and finished and thought, now that was a pretty good one. I think I polished that up fine. I've got the phrases well balanced, nice rolling periods, managed to put it all together, very neatly packaged, and it came from such a spotless heart and such a pure mouth. Yes, if any prayer I've ever prayed is going to pierce heaven itself and reach the ear of God, it's going to have to be that one. Or do you not rather wonder that God has ever heard your prayers? But he's not turned them away. They're so cold, aren't they? So dull, so repetitive, so formal at times, so faint and so dry, often infrequent, rushed and shallow. Sometimes we can be very profuse in prayer when we are distressed and then we're so meagre in prosperity. We're honest, haven't there been seasons when we've cried out to God, even with tears? We've set aside long seasons to plead with him. We've, we've fasted, we've wept, and we've prayed. And the Lord God has answered our prayers. And what, within hours, at least days? Oh good, everything's back to normal now, including the fact that I'm not praying to God as I once did, nor perhaps praying, praising the Lord as I should. God has not turned away my prayer. He has not only permitted me to pray, he has prompted me to pray. His ear is open to my cry. The Lord God has called upon me to pour out my heart before him. He has entreated me. He has made himself available. When you think about the prayers that we pray and the answers that we receive... My friends, we should be marvelling that God should ever hear us. Yes, we come by Jesus Christ. And that itself is not some sort of mantra or magic spell, that as long as I can get the name of Christ in somewhere in my prayer, that, that God is obliged to hear me. But there is even in there a marvel that God has opened a new and living way for me and for you that he's done so by the, the blood of his own son, that we can draw near through him, that in Christ Jesus, that veil that divided symbolically God in the holiest place from all those who were drawn near to him, that that veil has been opened up for you. God hears your prayers. He has not rejected you. 
For Christ's sake he has received you. He has not taken his mercy away from you. When you and I consider our supplications, either the record of them or the substance of them, we ought to say, blessed be God. What marvellous mercy, what astounding kindness, what phenomenal patience. Because he's not rejected my prayer and he hasn't taken away his mercy from me. A second contemplation that should lead us to speak in this way is when we think about our salvation. Do you stop to think about the fact, Christian, that God has saved you from your sins, from the death that you deserve, both spiritually and physically, and from the hell that is the proper consequence of your rebellion against him? He has taken you from the pit, drawn you out of the miry clay. He set your feet upon a rock. He has made you his own child. You go back and you think through the whole experience. You were awakened to your need. Perhaps for for years you went on and despite the fact that some of you were brought up in a Christian home, you never really grasped it, you never really cared about it. And for others of us, despite the fact that we hadn't been brought up in a Christian home, we perhaps had no idea that there was even a Christ to believe until God in his mercy sent someone to speak those words to us. And then you were awoken to your need. You felt yourself indeed to be a sinner and you were looking for a saviour and God made you to cry to him. And you think, I cried, yes, why did you cry? I barely know, God stirred my soul, he gave me an appetite and a desire to come to him. Why would you have cried and why, brother, sister, why would God have heard us? What merit was there in us that God should have received us? And yet he heard you and he delivered you. He didn't just prompt the cry. He answered it when you called. And he lavished his love upon you in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's that wonder, isn't there? What did God see in Abraham? Calling him out of Ur of the Chaldees an idolater, a man who didn't know God, and God spoke to him, and God plucked him out. Or that Ezekiel language, that the Lord went through the wilderness, and he he saw there an abandoned child, bloody in the dust, and there was nothing there except the pity and compassion of the Lord, looking upon that abject need, and taking, and caring, and rearing, and raising, and beautifying. My friends, the Lord God of heaven has been pleased in his sovereign grace to raise us from dust and ashes and to seat us with princes. Does that not astound you? Have you ever stopped to ponder that? Has that become perhaps fairly ordinary to us? And we're not all poets. But would you write a hymn about ordinary grace or would you still write a hymn about amazing grace? Straightforward grace. How reasonable the sound that saved someone ordinary like me. Yeah, things weren't so good. But now I'm in the right place. I wasn't quite where I should have been, but I think I am now. Or amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer. Having drawn it out, what encouragement for some of you who are saying, well, yeah, how do I become a Christian? I want to be, but I don't know and I'm not sure. Do you pray to the Lord? The Lord will not prompt a prayer that he doesn't intend to answer. The Lord will not stir you up to, to a desire that he doesn't intend to meet. If you desire salvation, if you want the God of salvation, if you've come to understand that Christ saves sinners and that you as a sinner, you need such a saviour as Christ is. Pray it will not be long before you too will be testifying, blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, even mine, nor his mercy from me. I called on him in time of need, and he heard me, and he turned his face toward me. And every Christian here, if we just stopped for a moment and mused for long enough on the wonder of our salvation, we would be more ready to say, blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. But what about your sins? Think of your sins before salvation. Again, what was there in you that commended you to God when he looked upon you in kindness? Or, if you're a Christian, what are the sins that you still commit? Is there one of us, brothers and sisters, who can now come into the presence of God and say, well, look, at least since I was converted, I think I've merited your favour. I've done well since then. I think I've got a little bit of credit on my account. Or is it not a marvel to you that God is still hearing your prayers and that God has not abandoned you? Not because you think that God may not be faithful, but that you know you have in yourself, if it were a matter of strict justice apart from God's covenant mercy, you have forfeited God's goodwill in everything that you are and in all that you have done because you haven't just sinned. You've sinned against light. God's loved you, and still you've fallen short of his glory. God's shown you Christ. Do you not sometimes weep over your sins? How can I have done that? How can I have come from my devotions, and within minutes I'm indulging anger or greed or lust? You come out of the church services, and before you've even got home, there's been some falling out with someone over something. Gone back too often like a dog to our own vomit. We have, in essence, not in the absolute sense, but we have betrayed God. And the Lord has not cast me off. Is that not marvellous in your eyes? That God might, in the strictest of justice, have said that I have been patient for long enough. I have borne with you for long enough. I've paid out enough rope. Now I'm going to let you hang yourself. But no, God has been merciful toward us. And when you have gone back to him and said, Lord, I've done it again. And again. And again. And again. I've thought like this. I've spoken like this. I've acted like this. 
And, oh God, I was sincere when I repented and I undertook independence upon your spirit that I would not so think and speak and act again. And how quickly I began to rely again upon my own strength and how rapidly once again I fell into my sin. And yet, when anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. And trusting in him, his blood is cleansing us from all transgressions. That when I go back to the fountain, God has not barred it to me. It is still open that I may be cleansed from my sin and from my uncleanness. That when I would flee from God because of my guilt and my shame, when I think, how can I now pray, having sinned again as I have sinned? It is God himself who says, that's why you need to come. That's why you need to draw near. And I am, I am more ready to forgive your sin than you are to confess it, that you might obtain forgiveness. When I think of my record, even as a Christian... Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. But what of your struggles and your strivings? How quickly you may have succumbed to temptation. How completely you've been overcome in some particular sin. Perhaps it's those moments here and there. Perhaps it's some season Maybe you've, you've drifted over time. Spoken to friends even in the last few weeks and months and they've said to me, I, I'm not where I was. I go back two or three years and everything seems now dry and dull. I can go through the motions. I, I'm still doing the right things in the, in at least outwardly. It's not that I'm an active hypocrite. I want to do what is right, but there's, there's nothing in me that's sort of rising up and, and lifting up toward God. I'm being accused and being despised. Everywhere I turn, it seems that there are enemies and there are obstacles. And I cried out. And the Lord heard me and delivered me from all my fears. He has never once ceased to sustain and to strengthen me. And even the fact that I am distressed about how undistressed I am is itself a marvel of mercy because there's still that appetite, there's still that desire, there's still that instinct in me that I desire my God. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. Have you ever thought, brothers and sisters, how you might have been carried away on that flood, swallowed up in that tide, sunk into that pit, that your enemies might have carried you away, that some of those who have turned against you, perhaps even people from your own household? Why is it you stand? How is it you stand? Times when you've barely known what to pray or how to pray. Times when you've been able to do nothing but groan. And the Lord did not reject your praying. He heard you 
He answered you. He did not withhold, still less withdraw, his covenant mercy toward you. All your sufferings and your sorrows. Some of us contemplate them a great deal. Sometimes they press in upon us. It's hard to do anything but think about them. We see them right in front of us. They hang before our eyes. We may even dwell unhealthily upon them. And yet there is a proper sense in which we should contemplate those things in the context of God's mercies toward us. The waves and the billows went over my head. That's not an exaggeration. The man of God is about to be swallowed up entirely by sufferings and sorrows. Some of us have been through the deepest distresses. Our hearts have broken, either because of our own sins or the sins of others. Issues amongst brothers and sisters, problems in this congregation or in others. We're faced with penetrating pains, both of body and of soul. Times perhaps when you just can't concentrate. There's, it's as if there's this just great white hot blaze. Every nerve perhaps seems to be on fire or there's some part of your body and there's this insistent nagging or piercing pain and it just doesn't seem like you've got any space for anything else. Or grim griefs and distresses, either your own or those that you share with others. Lost friends. Betrayals, abandonments, slandered for Christ's sake, your name trampled in the dust. Why are you still here? Because he set your feet upon a rock. And he did not allow your feet to be moved. He lifted you up. You called upon him in time of need and he answered you. He heard you and he helped you. You've got some of that here in Psalm 66. You, O God, have tested us, verse 10. You've refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You've caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But you brought us out. And the sense is to to a rich place, to richnesses. After all those sufferings, after all those sorrows, after all those distresses and after all those afflictions, Lord, you brought us out, you brought us through, you watched over us. You went with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. You made a table for us in the presence of our enemies. You are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How can I not speak well of God? How can I not magnify and testify of his greatness and his goodness? Because he has never turned away my prayers, nor his mercy from me. And then there is your service. Think about the work that God has given you to do. Think about the opportunities that you have to do what pleases him. Think about the, the door that opens before you. Think about the burdens that that often brings. Sometimes people say something like, you know, how are things going in the church? And I say, well, the highs are very high and the lows are very low. 
These, this, these are the blessings that God has lavished upon us. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, it is. And these are the burdens that come with the blessings. These are the burdens that we have to bear. And these are the blessings that come with them. You may look at some of the things that you have done or that you have to done, have to do. You think about the, the things that lie before us and we've got this going on and I could speak here to this person and I could make this investment and I could undertake this work and there's great scope and there's such opportunity. And yet, oh God, I am so feeble and I am so sinful. How is it that there has ever been any value, any fruit, any blessing from the work that I have done? It's not unto us that there's any glory. It's not my wisdom, not my strength, not my insight, not my intelligence, not my resources. It could all have come to nothing. Feeble efforts, flawed schemes. As soon as I'm involved in anything, there's enough folly and sin in it for the Lord to say, not touching that with a barge pole. If the Lord were to say, now I will bless whoever deserves it. How many of you would ever enjoy blessing? And you've poured yourself out. And you've invested. And you've laboured and you've sweated and you've sacrificed. Perhaps you feel that you're not far off that widow who's given her all, even though it wasn't very much. Why did you not collapse under the weight of that? How was it that you kept going in the face of all the difficulties and the challenges? The bone-aching weariness that you sometimes feel. Whose strength was manifest in your weakness? When you felt, I don't have the patience to serve any longer. I don't have the strength to care anymore. I'm not sure that I can go the first yard, yet alone the last yard, and certainly don't expect me to even think about the extra yard. And yet, you've run and not grown weary. You've walked and you've not been faint. In fact, you've been lifted up at times on wings like eagles. You've soared where you thought you might have slumped. You've done what other people say is foolish. You've overreached yourself. And yet you found that always underneath were the everlasting arms. And if it wasn't enough that you were actually able to do the work, you know what? God smiled upon it. That you were able to encourage someone. That you were able to do some good. That as you look back, there's a friend to whom you witnessed and they're now walking with the Lord. The way you thought that your courage would fail, you've been able diligently and humbly but clearly and faithfully to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you under God have been a means of saving others or of advancing that the sanctification, the holiness of some other child of God. That you have been a helper, an encourager, a means of blessing to many. Why is that? If you think about anything that you have ever accomplished of any real or lasting value, what must your testimony be? Blessed be God. He has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. 
My friends, when was the last time then that you and I contemplated God's loving kindness toward us, toward you? When was the last time you stopped and made a survey of such things as these? Carved out enough time, not just to touch on these things and bounce away, but rather to pause and to ponder that you have prayed and that God has heard you, that he's never ceased to be faithful in his covenant determinations toward you, that with regard to your salvation, God drew you to himself and received you when you came. That in the face of your sins, the Lord has gone on providing a covering for you. That your transgressions have gone on being swallowed up in the blood of Jesus Christ. That when you have struggled and striven and you've cried out, God has never ceased to hear. That when you have suffered and sorrowed, when there have been griefs and pains and distresses, the Lord has never once ignored or rejected your prayer. Never once said, I'm fed up of you coming. You've asked too much and too often. I'm out of resources or I'm out of the will and the desire to help you. And that with regard to the service which you have rendered and which you should be rendering, that you've been able to go to God again and again and again, as the Apostle Paul did, cast yourself upon him. And find that he has tabernacled with you, held you up and strengthened your hands. And you are obliged to say, not in the sense of, well, I suppose I must. But in the sense, how could I say anything but this when I think of all God's saving mercies in Christ toward me? All the tender mercy and ministry of my Christ in heaven toward me. All that he has ever done for me. All that he still does for me. All that he has undertaken to be for me. All the work of the Spirit in my soul. All of his tender ministrations, his faithful operations in my heart. This I must say. And I want you all to listen. Come and hear all you who fear God. And I will declare what he has done for my soul. Take a moment even this evening. And then phone a friend. Or write a note. Record it in a diary. Speak to a family member. Call an old Christian brother or sister. And say, I have been contemplating God's dealings with me. And my astounded conclusion and testimony is this. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. And take heart. Take heart for the rest of today. Take heart for tomorrow and the balance of this week. Take heart for the coming month. Take heart for what remains of this year. And for however many days or weeks or months or years, your God and your Redeemer will spare you in this world. Because God does not ignore or reject the prayers of his people. And the Lord does not withhold or withdraw his mercy from those upon whom he has set his love. And if you have yet to come to my God... 
If you have yet to call upon the name of Jesus Christ, if you have never yet asked the Lord to save you, a great sinner, with his so great salvation, then you take heart too. Because there's not a man or a woman in this room who would ever say, God heard me because me. No, God heard me because God. Because God is great in mercy. Because God is full of loving kindness and tender mercies. Because he is slow to anger. Because he is quick to forgive. Because he delights to hear and is ready to bless. That you too may come even now. Make no excuses because of what you are. Make no excuses because you've prayed before and you didn't mean it. Don't hold back because you're too great of a sinner. Don't say that you haven't suffered enough to be able to come. Don't say that your sins are too great. Don't say his salvation is too far. Don't say that your prayers will not reach to heaven. God draws near. God comes down. God opens his ear to the cries of the sinful, the weak, and the frail. He says, you come, and you speak, and I am ready to hear, and I am ready to bless. And your response is simply this, blessed be God. He has not turned away my prayer. He has not turned away his mercy from a sinner like me. Amen.